Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Anger greets us every day. It is both poisonous and popular. Philosopher Martha Nussbaum is speaking, conventional wisdom dictates that when we are wronged, we should use justified rage to put them in their place and exact a penalty. Not to be angry is to be spineless, a doormat. Even when we acknowledge anger's destructive tendencies, we cling to it, seeing it as a strong emotion connected to self-respect. But, says Martha Nussbaum, if we think clearly about anger, this is a quote from the good philosopher, we can begin to see why it is a stupid way to run our lives. How many of you have ever played Angry Birds? Released in 2009, it's a video game featuring multicolored birds trying to save their stolen eggs from green pigs. The birds, launched by slingshot, are aimed at the pigs who are hiding under various structures. The object of the game is to destroy the pigs. I don't even pretend to understand this. To the point, though, in valiantly trying to take out the pigs, the birds are horribly injured. An ancient Chinese aphorism says, the one who would pursue vengeance must begin by digging two graves. The thing about anger is that it carries within it the seeds of payback. Payback doesn't make sense. Actually, it's a fatally flawed way of making sense of the world. We tend to think that proportionality between the crime and the punishment um, somehow makes everything even, but it doesn't. However heinous the offense that made us angry, inflicting pain and retribution on the offender does not restore to us whatever or whoever was lost. Seeking revenge is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Social ethicist Barbara Wildong Harrison, my divinity school professor of blessed memory, wrote an essay called The Power of Anger in the Work of Love. The title alone has stayed with me across the decades. Here's just a little of what she means by that. Anger, she writes, is not the opposite of love. It is a mode of connectedness to others, and it is always a vivid form of caring. Anger is better understood as a sign of some resistance in ourselves to the moral quality 
of our social relations, a feeling signal that all is not well in our relation to other persons or groups or to the world around us. She continues, avoiding anger does not make it go away or disappear. In interpersonal life, anger masks itself as boredom, low energy, blaming, and self-righteousness. Anger denied subverts community. Where feeling is evaded, where anger is hidden or goes unattended, there the power of love, the power to act, to deepen relationship, atrophies and dies. Barbara Wildung Harrison concludes, we have two basic options. We can ignore, avoid, condemn, or blame, or we can express it directly as a way of taking the other seriously, of caring, of acting to alter relationship toward reciprocity, beginning a real process of hearing and speaking to each other. It has been said that the remedy for all anger is prayer. I commend you to counting to 10, actually, counting to 10 or praying to 10 as a way to stop dissociating, re-enter our bodies, and calm our central nervous system, breathing in and breathing out and breathing in and breathing out. Abba Agathon, a desert monk of the early Christian church, said that when he sat down to pray, another way of counting to 10, he was most likely to be distracted by unresolved anger, old grudges against those who had wronged him, and schemes of retaliation and revenge. He said, and I love this, prayer is warfare to the last breath. Counting or praying away anger is breathtakingly hard. Vietnam vet and philosopher Paul Woodruff writes, our capacity for anger functions as our sensitivity to injustice. Learning to be angry better is part of acquiring justice. Learning to be angry better. So here are four brief Illustrations. First, I think of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I always think of Dr. King. Do you remember the story he told about having to give up his seat on a bus to a white person? He writes, um, when I was 14, I traveled to Dublin, Georgia with a dear teacher of mine, Mrs. Bradley, to participate in an oratorical contest. We were on a bus returning to Atlanta, and along the way, some white passengers boarded the bus and the white driver ordered us to get up and give the whites our seats. We didn't move quickly enough to suit him, so he began cursing us. I intended to stay right in my seat, but Mrs. Bradley urged me up, saying we had to obey the law. We stood up in the aisle for 90 miles to Atlanta. That night, he says, will never leave my memory. It was the angriest I have ever been in my life. That was 1943. It wasn't until December 1st, 1955, that Rosa Parks 
remained seated. The Montgomery bus boycott lasted more than a year until December 20th, 1956. Dr. King had to wait 13 years for the source of that anger to be vanquished. 13 years. And we all know that was only one facet of the daily indignities of racism. So what did Dr. King do? He was angry, but he was unwilling to be defined by his anger, unwilling to become embittered. He knew that his destiny was bound up with every other living being on earth, and he refused to demean or be demeaned. He refused to sacrifice his dignity. He called for a war of nonviolence, and he did battle every day, not with those who were the messengers of hate, but with the hatred itself, not with people, but with their ignorance and fear and their twisted ideology and depraved theology. Second, I think of Ite Epstein, who works with the Norwegian Refugee Council, which provides legal representation to Palestinians who have lost their homes. My colleague, Reverend Galen Gingrich, asked Ite, what's your success rate? Zero, he replied. In 15 years, we have never won a case. How do you deal with constant defeat, Galen asked. How do you remain hopeful or optimistic as you confront human rights violations every day? And Ite answered, I'm not hopeful and optimistic. But they need help, and I can help, so that's what I do. And I swear a lot. I don't know if Ite Epstein can envision a future of peace for the people he serves, but he channels his anger into doing the next best thing. He helps, he swears. These are good starting places. <laughs> and what else can we do with our anger? We can cry. Sometimes we just need to let anger drain out through our tears. Writing and making art can help. It can force our thinking to slow down and invite reason into our internal monologue. When we get our feelings down on paper or express them in some other medium, they're contained and less overwhelming. Exercise can help, good old-fashioned exercise, or something creative like smashing big bags of ice in the bathtub over and over again. I know a wonderful therapist who buys up old dishes at yard sales, and she has an empty garage in which her clients are invited to throw the dishes against the walls. Some combination of making a lot of noise and sweating it out can help. And we can ask for help. I would add that a good old-fashioned heart-to-heart with someone who will listen and ask the right question and love you through it all is a good place for anger. Third, I think of Nelson Mandela. Imprisoned for 27 years, he struggled mightily against anger and the desire for revenge. He dreamed of a strong, successful nation, 
But he knew that South Africa would never succeed if the two sides were divided by suspicion, resentment, and the calculus of payback. Focusing on a shared future, he said, your duty is to work with human beings as human beings, not because you think they're angels. Just before Nelson Mandela's release from prison, he was given a private cook. It was a terrible setup, a once powerful Afrikaner serving a despised ANC leader. It would have been so easy to see it as a dose of deserved humiliation. But Nelson Mandela wasn't having it, and he initiated a discussion. I took it upon myself to break the tension, he says, and a possible resentment on his part that he had to serve a prisoner by cooking and then washing dishes, and I offered to wash the dishes. He refused. He said that it was his work. I said, no, we must share it. Although he insisted, and he was genuine, I forced him, literally forced him, to allow me to do the dishes. And we established a very good relationship. A really nice chap, Warder Swart, a very good friend of mine. And so President Mandela built a strong and successful nation by insisting on engaging in relationships between equals. And finally, I think of Anoid Latipovna Rakhmativleda. She tells this story from her time in her native Tajikistan was at war. Her husband had left for work two weeks earlier and just disappeared. His brothers, too, were missing. Every day she had to lock her two children into the house and walk two hours each way to work. There was very little food available. The city center was in ruins. Anoyed is a piano teacher at the university. When she arrives, it is still early. Suddenly, a member of her department is running at her, yelling, there are soldiers in the music room. They're smashing the instruments. And Anoy begins to move toward this terrible sound, and the other teacher stares behind, terrified. She runs. The door is open. Ten soldiers are hitting the instruments and kicking them around the room. They're dressed all in black with black wraps around their faces except for their eyes. Their armor and their machine guns are piled on top of the grand piano, and Anoyed has no idea which army they're from. And suddenly, she has just had it. She's had it with the war that is destroying her family and her city, and she's had it with these soldiers. She walks right in and up to the one who is beating on the piano in a loud voice. She asks him to stop smashing the instruments. The instruments are very expensive, she says, and they will serve your children and your grandchildren in the future. And they all stop and turn to stare at her. And the room gets very quiet. She is alone in a room with 10 soldiers. If you want, she says, I can play the piano for you. So I sat down and started playing the Moonlight Sonata. 
A few of them sat down too, and others came closer to see how my fingers moved across the keys. And then one of them came even closer and asked me to play a Tajik folk song. When I had first walked in, they were all speaking Russian, but when he asked me to play, he asked in our native Tajik. So I played it, and all of them started singing along. They were like a choir. And then out of nowhere, a man came to the door, and he said something to them, and they stood up quickly, took their armor and guns, and left, shutting the door behind them. One year later, the war ended, and Anoid's husband's brothers, and then her husband, returned. Beloved spiritual companions, here is the Cliff's Notes on anger. Anger, poisonous and popular, greets us every day. We can ignore it, or we can change it. Payback does not restore to us whatever or whoever was lost. The one who would pursue vengeance must begin by digging two graves. We can learn to be angry and count to 10 and pray about it. But that prayer is warfare to the last breath. Dr. King was unwilling to be defined by his anger, unwilling to become embittered. He refused to demean or be demeaned, refused to sacrifice his dignity. Ite Epstein navigates his anger by doing the next best thing. People need help, and he can help. Help and swear. Help and swear and cry, write and make art, exercise, ask for help, have a heart-to-heart. President Mandela built a strong nation by insisting on relationships between equals. Anoid Latipovna Rachmatileva played the piano, and the war did end. We can learn to be angry better. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.